You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 690 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Friday evening, much later than the podcast earlier. If you missed it, it's kind of a two-part episode today. Uh, not really back-to-back necessarily, but within you know four or five hours of each other, I did record an all-Andre Drummond, basically, episode with a little bit of Trey Young All-Star stuff at the end of that podcast. So if you missed that one from before the game on Friday... Go back and listen to it. It's kind of a two-parter because I knew I was going to have the game podcast, which you're listening to right now. So um, most of the podcast that you're about to listen to will be about Hawks Celtics on Friday evening. And it was definitely an interesting game in a lot of ways. A couple things to round up before we get started, though, on the game itself. Um, before, uh, actually, I, I should say after I, I recorded the earlier podcast about Andre Drummond, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, who was the person that, report, that reported the Drummond news originally, on Friday afternoon, added some stuff to a uh, written story on ESPN.com that I wanted to at least talk talk about a little bit there. He mentioned, quote, serious recent talks, end quote, between the Hawks and Pistons about Drummond. He also said that the package discussed centered on the Nets pick, which the Hawks have coming to them probably this season in the mid-first round and expiring contracts. But he did say that, quote, a potential deal would include other assets, end quote. That is very interesting in a lot of ways because the Brooklyn pick is already a pretty good asset on its own. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on quickly about that Woj report is that, and I'm quoting now, Pistons-Hawks discussions have included ownership levels with both teams, end quote. That is very interesting to note, I will say. Tony Ressler has been, um, I would say, involved in basketball decisions in the past. He has given some interviews in the last year or two that have been uh, more, a little bit more hands-off seeming. But going back to the Paul Millsap stuff, 2017, he was very active in sort of, I guess, refusing to trade Paul Millsap. That was one that was well chronicled by Jeff Schultz of the AJC at that point, now at The Athletic. Um, you know, anytime you get the owner involved, I will say it's not great for basketball operations. Uh, it doesn't always end badly, but generally owners are not basketball people and they do um, I'm sure they have opinions, and of course they are the final say because the owner has the money and they've bought the team and they can do whatever they want. But if you're a basketball fan, uh, usually you want your GM making decisions outside of the owner whenever possible. Obviously, you need to get ownership approval on a lot of things, but it's always better when ownership is hands-off and leaving the basketball stuff to basketball people. So I don't love that, but it's just one of those things that maybe maybe nothing happens with this, but I wanted to at least write up the last couple of things that were uh, sort of breaking after I recorded the last podcast. So there you go on that. If you want more on on Drummond, you can get that on a Drummond-only episode that I recorded earlier, so check, check that out and subscribe today. Last thing before we get to Hawks Celtics, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe talked to Evan Turner before the game on Friday, and uh, Turner told Washburn that the Hawks have, quote, talked to him and Chandler Parsons about being inactive for the, for, for the foreseeable future as Atlanta goes with younger players, end quote. This is not a huge surprise to me. I mentioned on the post-game podcast on Monday after the Hawks beat the Magic that Turner was the inactive player for the Hawks, and uh, they had to choose one in that spot. Um, because the Hawks have 15 guys right now, with Brandon Goodwin seemingly going to be around for a while on a two-way contract, you can only have 13 guys active, and um, with the way that things are trending, it's a pretty easy decision, I would say, to go with Turner and Parsons as those two guys. They are both on expiring contracts. You can't really justify buying those guys out right now. Um, Turner... 
can play a little bit when he is healthy. Parsons, I'm not really sure about that necessarily at this point in time. But both guys have value for salary matching purposes before the deadline. They could both be involved, uh, probably only one of them, but they could each be involved in a Drummond pursuit potentially because of their uh, salary matching capabilities on their contracts. But neither are obviously going to be in the plans beyond this season. Of course, Turner had a role coming into the year um, as soon as the deal was made to trade Kent Bazemore for Evan Turner, Travis Schlenk, or at least somebody in the Hawks front office was putting out there that the Hawks were going to be using as, as a backup point guard. That did not last very long at all. Part of that was injury stuff for Turner, but he was not really been in that role for quite some time now and basically out of the rotation at this point. Parsons was never in the rotation. So none of that's terribly surprising, and they're obviously natural buyout candidates if uh, either or both are not traded. We discussed this on the podcast before, but it would surprise me if um, – it would stun me if Parsons on the team beyond that, and I think Turner's now joining that class as well. If you're if you're still on the team after the deadline, I think buyouts will be uh, coming in the near future, um, and we'll see if the Hawks want to use their roster spots, etc. But for now, no big surprises, but some more, I guess, formal confirmation that uh, both Turner and Parsons are not going to be in the plans, barring something that's unforeseen or a couple of injuries or something crazy like that. Um, just wanted to put that out there as we get into this one. And they were on the bench for this game, but both in street clothes, as you might imagine, being inactive for this game. Okay. To the game itself, the Hawks were 10.5 point underdogs in this game. It was about 12 or 12.5 with Kemba Walker questionable, and then Kemba was ruled out with illness. Um, It was actually reported that Kemba had a 103 fever and flu-like symptoms on Thursday. Um, so not not a big surprise he did not play in this game. Obviously, I think you saw if you watched this game that Boston's offense is not the same without Walker. Boston's been quite good offensively this season on the whole. In this game, they were not as, um, I would say, proficient <laughs> offensively. There were some nice moments from Boston along the way. Coming into the game, the Celtics were like number four in the uh, league in, the, in offense. If you watch this game, you would not believe that. And a lot of that is just being being without Kemba and going with guys who are not as good as he is offensively. So that opened the door a little bit for the Hawks and also Trey Young being back after missing the last two games in a large portion of the third game with no miss restriction. He played very well in this game. Um, coming into the game, it was the sixth game all season long when they actually had John Collins and Trey Young in, on the floor together. But of course... In sort of unlucky fashion, as the Hawks have been battling all season long, they get a John Collins injury in this game, in the third quarter, which we'll talk about later. He missed the uh, the rest of this one, most of the second half, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, also, Jabari, Jabari Parker came back after missing three games in a row. That's good to see. And uh, coming into the game, the Hawks had no injuries for the first time in a very long, very long time. Everyone that was uh, healthy was available, and there you go on that. To the game itself, the Hawks actually started off and played a lot of small ball in this game. Lloyd Pierce, I think, smartly went to a matchup-based kind of thing here, and the way that Boston plays their lineups, you know, in this game, without Kemba, their three best players are all basically small forwards. You have Jalen Brown, you have Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward are all kind of the same kind of player. They're all they all, they're all different in some respects, but all you know in that 6-8 range, they're all kind of primary small forwards playing together. So one's playing the two, one's playing the four effectively, but in general, Boston's playing four out almost all the time, if not all the time. And as a result of that, the Hawks went small in this game and played John Collins as a full-time center in this spot. Um, Alex Lynn was the backup center, and then when Collins left the game, they went to Bruno Fernando for just a few minutes, but it was all center from Collins, and they played small on the wings with Kevin Herter, of course, at the two, then you have Reddish at the three starting, and then Hunter at the four, which is not, obviously, that's the five-man lineup that the Hawks, the Hawks fans want to see. It's their five-man core all playing together. I do think it was definitely matchup-driven in this game, but obviously, it's a good thing to see that, that lineup play more often. And in the first quarter, it went very, very well because... The Hawks had a 12-0 run 
early in the first quarter to go up by 10 points. There was a three from Cam Reddish, a three from John Collins, a couple dunks from Collins. In fact, Collins had nine points and four rebounds in the first four minutes of this game. He was flying around. Good to see him playing well in that spot. And that core five-man group was plus 10 in their five minutes at the beginning of the game. And then Hunter got two fouls. There was a lot of foul trouble throughout this game, and that was the first sort of reason that the lineup changed. But, uh, even after that, it was, it was, they actually extended the run to 14-0. Boston opened the game 3 of 17 from the floor. They missed 12 straight shots. Part of that was the Hawks' defense being pretty good, including Trey Young, which I want to shout out a little bit. Trey was not great defensively by an objective standard, but if you're talking about himself, I thought he was much, much better than normal. Gave good, good effort throughout this game, and it was good to see him show off that side a little bit um, after a couple of uh, stinkers recently defensively. Good to see him play well defensively for the most part. Um Later in the quarter, the Hawks went, obviously, throughout their rotation a little bit. They went with uh, Brandon Goodwin, was back in the rotation in this game, I think rightfully, after the way that he played on Monday. They went to Alan Crabb, they went to Jabari Parker and Alex Lynn. Actually ran a nice ATO play for Alan Crabb for it to hit a three early in the first quarter. The Hawks led by as many as 18 points in the first. Now, obviously, from that point forward, it was all Celtics, but... Up 18 in the uh, in the first on the road is pretty darn impressive. Boston was 524 from the from the floor at that point in time. The 25 to five overall run from the Hawks to take that big old lead. Uh, a less than great ending though to the first quarter to be only up only up by 13 points, but still up 13 at the end of the first. Pretty impressive. They made six threes in the first quarter. Trey Young had six assists despite the fact that he was he was actually scoreless in the first quarter, but he was kind of just seeing the floor. And uh, in distributor mode early on, um, second quarter was not quite as uh, quite as kind. If you look at the box score, the Hawks actually lost the last three quarters in a row. Granted, the second, the third, and fourth were much closer than the second was, but the second was Boston's quarter. If you had to pick one in this game, it was a uh, a 10-0 run from the Celtics to sort of start off the uh, second quarter, get a stoppage there on a timeout from uh, Lloyd Pierce. But uh, the one bright spot I would say is uh, Trey Young was had it cooking in the, in the second quarter. He had 11 points in the first six and a half minutes of the second. Good to see him playing well and uh, scoring actually after just sort of distributing in the first quarter um, quarter plus of this contest. Then a couple of back and forths at the end of the first half. A couple of uh, times where Boston had, had a chance to take, the lead, to take the lead or tie it, but the Hawks went into halftime with a lead. They did play a pretty small kind of hilarious lineup at the end of, at the, end of the first half. It was Trey Young. Brandon Goodwin, Kevin Herter, Alan Crabb, and John Collins. So basically, they played two point guards and two shooting guards and John Collins um, for about the last minute and a half of the first quarter. Uh, pretty funny. Obviously, it was, it, was the end, it was the end of half situation, and Boston was pretty small on their own, but I thought that was one that I wanted to circle and say it was probably the smallest lineup of the season and probably the smallest, smallest lineup that you'll, that you'll ever see in a non-garbage time setting from the Hawks. Um, still, in the first half, the Hawks had a pretty good offense. They had 14 points from John Collins, 11 from Trey Young. Um... Pretty good defense as well. They held Jason Tatum in check pretty much the entire game, but especially in the first half. They did lose the offensive glass, sorry, the, the defensive glass to Boston's offensive glass a lot in the first half. That kind of bite, kind of bit them a little bit in the second quarter. But other than that, a pretty encouraging first half. And as I said before, they went pretty much entirely small ball in the uh, in the first half. And that's one thing they're going to open up if you if you go that small is the, is the defensive glass. But other than that, the defense was pretty good in this game, and that was uh, sort of the case throughout the contest. After halftime, a couple of bad turnovers early on from Trey Young, which I thought were well, at least worth pointing out, that led to easy buckets for Boston to take their first lead, actually, uh, since it was 6-4, uh, since it was very, very early in this game. Then you had the collision between John Collins and Jason Tatum, in which Tatum tried to dunk. Both guys landed hard. It was actually a good defensive play from Collins. Um, Tatum stayed in the game, and then Collins asked, had, to, had to be uh, not really helped to the locker room, but certainly went straight to the locker room. 
And uh, within a few minutes, the Hawks said it was a back contusion for John Collins. He landed. He landed very, very hard. All indications post game were pretty positive. Pierce said he thought he was going to be pretty. Uh, thought he was going to be fine. No X ray was taken. Um, we'll see if he's able to play on Saturday. So it feels like a unlikely thing to me on a back to back that Collins would be able to play on Saturday. But it does feel like you know, bar something different that we just don't know right now. Um, it feels like it's not going to be a long term thing, which is good. It's probably just like a deep, very painful bruise for Collins, but um, you know, we'll see what happens there. But he was ruled out the rest of the game. That was a big swing, I would say, in the contest because the Hawks lose his game by three points. If they have John Collins on the floor, you have to feel you have to feel pretty good about the game the rest of the way. But alas. Um once Collins went out, the Hawks were very short handed and they actually got a fourth foul on DeAndre Hunter um early in the third quarter as well. They were very, very short in terms of foul trouble throughout this game, and then Pierce actually challenged that one and lost it. Um, a 10-3 run by Boston late in the third to go up by six, and then Trey Young to the rescue, though, hit back-to-back threes to tie the game. A lot of back and forth down the stretch of the third quarter, and then uh, Gordon Hayward hit a buzzer-beater three to go up by two at the end of the third. But still, the Hawks did a pretty good job weathering the storm after Collins um, left the game. In the fourth, though, I think this is probably the, the biggest stretch of the game, in my opinion, and I understand why it happened, but it was also, again, huge. Um, to open the fourth quarter, they had to go to somebody else besides Alex Len because Alex Len couldn't play the entire time, John Collins, because um, Collins left early in the third quarter, and you can't really ask Alex Len to play the final, I don't know, 19 minutes of the game, maybe even longer than that consecutively, because it's just not what he's, what he's going to be able to do. So they had to go to somebody else, and they went to Bruno Fernando. Um, it was the first time they went to someone else at center besides Collins and Lennon this game. And again, they had to do something, but it was Bruno. And in the uh, about three and a half minutes that Bruno played, the Hawks lost that stretch 10-4. to um, They were down by eight points after a timeout when Alex Lynn came back in the game. And the Hawks did win the rest of the game, but um, that six-point margin in that stretch was big. Um, and I'm not... <sighs> I can't blame Bruno because he hadn't played. Even Lloyd Pierce said, you know, they don't—they obviously didn't want to do that. But the choices at that point in time were Bruno and maybe Vince Carter. But you can't really go to Vince Carter at center. Jabari Parker, same thing. You just can't really defend on that on that spot. So they had to choose somebody, and they went to Bruno. It didn't go very well, and uh, that was a big as a big, big swing point in the game. I will say after that though. The Hawks bounced back very, very nicely with eight points in the next 60, 62 seconds as soon as Bruno left the game to get back within two. A nice stretch by Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter there to get things back within striking distance. And then a lot of back and forth from that point in time. Um, Boston tried to run away a little bit, went up by seven, but then Trey got fouled on a three, made all three of them to get back within four. And then from that point forward, with about four and a half minutes to go, it was a four-point game or less the entire rest of the way. A couple nice blocks from Alex Len that I wanted to point out. There was a massive one, actually, that uh, created a Kevin Herter run-out bucket to get back within two. I have no idea, number one, how Boston didn't get the loose ball on that play. It worked out great for Atlanta, but then also Herter got fouled very clearly on the fast break. That was not called. He made it, which was fortunate, but still should have been an and one, an extra point for the Hawks. That was a big swing as well. From there, though, you know, a lot of back and forth, I would say. I don't want to go full play-by-play down the, down the stretch here. The Hawks got some stops when they needed them, just couldn't necessarily capitalize. Um, trailed the entire way, never actually got the lead back. You know, probably the biggest single shot of the game was the uh, Hawks down one um, after Alex Len split a pair of free throws at 105 to 104. Um, down one on defense, and, and Marcus Smart hits a trademark sort of no, 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 yes kind of three to go back up by four with 40 seconds to go. That was the biggest shot of the game, I thought, and Smart's going to come up again in a second. But um, a big shot for Marcus Smart, <laughs> we should say that, and uh, Pierce said the same thing after the game. Um, I didn't love a timeout at that point from from Lloyd Pierce. That was the final timeout they had. I understand the reaction to do that because it was a big shot, right? Smart. Everybody, everybody kind of felt that. But the Hawks needed that, needed that timeout later. He didn't probably swing the game, but still, I didn't love that at that point in time. 
The Hawks did score after that on a tip-in by Alex Lynn after Trey missed a floater in the lane, but then uh, a fantastic defensive play um, by uh, Dano Tice to basically ice the game in some respects. You know, they were down, Hawks down two, final possession, balls in Trey Young's hands. Old boy Pierce credited Kevin Herter for getting the switch, being smart enough to kind of isolate Daniel Tice on to Trey Young in one-on-one situation, but Tice just played it very, very wisely. He's a very good defender, very long and instinctive defender. Trey tried to step back and actually did a, had a nice move there, but Tice got back to him, blocked the shot, and that was that. Um, but that was not that in terms of the actual weirdness the rest of the way. Um, after the block shot, to basically secure the game with the Hawks down two, um, a super weird play ensued. I'm sure you saw the replay by now if you're listening to this podcast, if you're probably die, probably a diehard fan. But uh, Marcus Smart secures the ball after the block shot and basically tries to step over Trey Young, seemingly, with the ball. Uh, Young gets called, actually, for a personal foul a uh, for, I guess, kind of tripping Marcus Smart, um, which led to a, a, a pair of free throws from Smart. We're going to come back in a second. But Smart made the first free throw and then missed the second one because the Hawks didn't have any timeouts left to actually end the game. But in the middle there, between the free throws and the actual incident, um, the official box score called a double technical foul on Marcus Smart and Alex Lynn. Um, Lloyd Pierce said after the game when he was asked, and I, I watched this multiple times, and I'm just going to pass the information along now, Lloyd Pierce said that he was told by officials that the first technical foul was on Marcus Smart for walking over Trey Young with Trey on the floor, um, sort of not laying down, but sort of you know sitting down on the floor after, after his shot was blocked. And the second technical foul, Pierce said, was called on Alex Lynn for pushing Marcus Smart. Now, a lot of confusion there. Obviously, you know, Hawks fans <laughs> wanted a lot more on Marcus Smart. I can obviously see why that would be the case because Marcus Smart is, A, pretty annoying if you're on the opposition, and, uh, B, just kind of a weird play. Um, there was a lot of reactions here. He clearly tried to step over, and I don't know if it was an embarrassment thing or whatever he tr- was trying to do with, with Trey Young. Marcus is always talking and creating things. And then he kind of pushed Lynn first, it seemed, and I'm not really sure why the cynical foul was called on Alex Lynn. Obviously, we can't know everything without being on the floor, but that was a weirdly officiated thing um, from the outside. I'll leave it there for now. But uh, obviously, I understand why everybody's upset with Marcus Smart because that's something you just don't see happen. The game wasn't over, and if the Hawks get a favorable whistle there and get a technical foul on only Smart, that could have swung the game back to Atlanta because the Hawks are only down by two at that point. It wasn't over. Uh, the double technical foul did not net any free throws, and because Smart got fouled after um, after the Hawks you know, didn't score in that final possession. They uh, still have free throws to go, and that kind of iced the game. But, yeah, a lot of weirdness there. Obviously, he's not a fan favorite already from previous years. Uh, you know, Boston is still the number one rival from the Hawks, If, if especially if you're someone in my age or older, potentially. Um, you probably hate the Celtics if you're a Hawks fan. I grew up hating the Celtics, so I understand that 100%. And uh, Smart is now the guy on the Celtics that everybody hates. So there's always one, and he is the one. Um, short of uh, there was a playoff series where it was uh, it was market it was Markeith uh, Mar- Morris was not a, was not a fan favorite recently in a Wizards playoff series. But short of that, Marcus Smart not a fan favorite in Atlanta, and that did not um, certainly change on this night. So. All that to say, I, I thought it was impressive that Trey Young took the high road after this one. He kind of just said, "Watch the watch the play and see for yourself." He didn't want to take shots. That was probably a smart thing from Trey to, for Trey to do. Same thing with Lloyd Pierce, who said he didn't see it. I'm not sure if that was true or not, but he downplayed it. Uh, you could see both those reactions on video on Fox Sports Southeast uh, Twitter account. But yeah, a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, yeah, just kind of a mess. At the end of the game. Um, I wish it hadn't happened because it's. I wish I, I just want to talk about basketball in this space, but uh, clearly Marcus Smart did not do a very smart thing there. The Hawks were upset about that. I get that too. And Hawks fans want another technical foul. I can't blame them at all because it was it was a bad play by Marcus Smart by every 
imaginable standard. And if you're if you're a Celtics fan, which obviously you guys are not, um, I'd be pretty mad with Marcus Smart because he almost cost them the game, at least at least a chance to lose the game. Um, anyway, there you go on that. It's plenty on the end of the game. Uh, you know, back to the back to actually what transpired here quickly in terms of the on court product. The Hawks did a pretty good job defensively in this in this whole game. A 104 defensive rating. Um, that is very good. Again, Kemba would have been helpful for Boston, but the Hawks still played good defense in this game. Jason Tatum was 2 of 16 from the floor, 2 of 14 on twos. He was brutal in this game. But Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, they had plenty of firepower, and the Hawks just did a good job playing defense in this game all the way up and down the roster. So good good on them for doing that. Offensively, it was not great. A 101 offensive rating. Part of that's losing Collins. Part of that's just not making a ton, not making a ton of shots. They made a decent amount of shots. But, um, you know, second chance points were not really in, in vogue for the Hawks in this game. And Boston is very good on defense, too. And probably even better without Kemba because you're playing Marcus Smart a lot. And he's a better defender by, than Kemba by a lot. Um, Wanamaker, same thing. So, you know, not a bad performance anyway from the Hawks. In fact, you know, I, I would say pretty encouraging overall, especially, especially when you factor in Collins missing time um, in this game. They're still coming in within, within one possession of uh, stealing one in Boston. Pretty impressive that the Hawks actually were able to even potentially do that at the end of this game. Okay, after a quick break, we will come back, talk about the individual players, look ahead a little bit to Saturday's game, so hold on tight. All right, we're back to talk about the individual individual players in this game. And yeah, lots to get to in this spot. I will say um, the one thing that was weird about this game, in some respect, but also, also not, is that Vince Carter did not play there was some anticipation that Vince was going to be the first player in league history to appear in four different decades because it would be the first game of 2020. He did not play here. I think it was coach's decision. There was no injury that was listed for Carter. It is a back-to-back, so that wouldn't be a surprise if they wanted to do that at home. Uh, that's kind of a landmark occasion in some respects, and the Hawks are back home Saturday, so that would not be a huge surprise there. And the Hawks played a different style in this game, and Vince is kind of on the outskirts right now of the rotation anyway, so I wasn't outraged by that. I think we'll probably see him at, at some point on Saturday. Um, to the actual rotation, though, the one guy who did, the, the other guy who did not play at all in this game was Damian Jones, who, cer- who certainly seems to be behind Bruno Fernando on the outskirts of the, of the rotation as well. I talked about Bruno earlier; it was not all his fault. He was just not very good when he played, though, in his three and a half minutes of play. Um, Thirteen minutes from, from DeAndre Bembry, he was in foul trouble most of the night. Um, second half didn't really have, did, didn't play that much, honestly. I thought, I thought he played okay when he played, but didn't make a huge impact. Um, Jabari Parker was back. Good to see him playing. Didn't play fantastically here. Had, had one nice uh, post play against Tatum. Where he went, he kind of just put Tatum under the rim and scored four points, three assists for Jabari, who's a, you know not not a huge ball mover, but it was good to see him passing the ball around. Missed all three of his threes, which would have been big if he hit one or two of those. But alas, uh, Brandon Goodwin. Good to see him playing again as well. Uh, it seems like Lloyd Pierce is going to give him a chance here. I recommend that wholeheartedly in terms of just backup point guard stuff. Trey Young played 37 minutes in this game, and Goodwin played 13. There was one stretch um, of like two and a half minutes where those guys played together, and there was one more of like 10 seconds when they, when they played together. I am just totally okay if they want to just go with Goodwin as a pure backup point guard. Not play those guys together, just kind of give them the opportunity to play 12 minutes a night. I'm okay with that. Let's just do that. I thought he, I thought he played decently well. Played, had some nice uh, flashes in this game. Had two steals, three assists, four rebounds, eight points. And I thought, he, I thought he just gave them a nice little spark off the bench. Alan Crabb, 24 minutes, a little bit more than normal because of the um, foul trouble stuff to Bembry, Reddish, and Hunter. Um, Crab made three threes. That's what he's out there to do, and he did, and he did it. So shouts to him for that. And then the other guy on the bench was Alex Len. 22 minutes. He played more than he probably was going to 
I do think they were probably going to go with like a 36 to 12 kind of split at center because it was very clear in the game plan. The Hawks did not want to use a traditional power forward. So it was going to be Collins at center and Len behind him. And that was going to be it. Um, that was, that's all it was in the first two and a half quarters. And Len would have played less under that scenario. And by the way, I'm okay with that. I am probably the world's largest Alex Len advocate at this point in time. I talk about this all the time. He's the best center on the team, but if your game plan is working and it's with John Collins at center, it's a lot easier to say, all right, Alex Len is the backup center tonight. Um, if it's not that, it's harder. But I thought Len, a lot, Len played well. He had a couple big blocks in the fourth quarter. He had five points. He had eight rebounds, two assists, um, was plus nine in 22 minutes. I thought, I thought he played well. It didn't shoot it didn't shoot it great in this game, but he's okay to uh, make an impact in other ways. I thought Len played well, and uh, especially when he was pushing to, I would say, larger duty than expected in the second half of the game. Um, to the starters in this spot, um, John Collins, as, as I said before, was very good, I thought, in his 22 minutes, 16 points, 8 rebounds, and an assist and a steal for John. Um, Pierce was complimentary of him, so was Trey Young in the post-game interviews that I saw. And again, hopefully he'll be able to play on Saturday. If The Hawks, um, do, the Hawks by the way, are still at home. It's actually a three-game homestand from the Hawks. They play on Saturday and then Monday and then Wednesday all at home. So uh, if Collins can't play Saturday, there would be some hope that he can play on Monday or Wednesday, and we'll see what happens there. Elsewhere on the starting five in this game, DeAndre Hunter was fairly quiet, had a, had a nice second half offensively, 11 points, did have five fouls, was in foul trouble all night long for the most part, 27 minutes, it was a little bit lower than he normally would be because of that. Cam Reddish had foul trouble as well, 5.3 rebounds for Cam, two block shots, um, was not great offensively, um, you know, that's not anything stunning this, based on this, this season, but he was 1-4 from the floor, um, sorry, 1-4 from three, um, 0 of 2 on twos. Um, you know, offensively had some bad moments, but I thought defensively he actually did a pretty good job throughout the game on everyone that he was asked to guard, and that's been a staple of him all season long. Kevin Herter had a pretty decent game, I thought, in this spot. 17 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, and a block shot. Um, 7 of 17 17 from the floor is not great for him. 3 of 9 from 3 is not great for him either, but I thought he was able to make an impact in other ways. He wasn't fantastic, but he was pretty good, I thought. And then Trey Young, um, best player on the floor for Atlanta in this game. Not a big surprise. 28 points, 10, re- 10 assists, I should say. Five rebounds. Did have six turnovers, a couple in the second half. I thought he was a little bit loose after halftime with the handle and some, and some passes. In the first half, he was much more economical. But that's okay. I mean, it's going to happen sometimes. I don't really worry about his turnovers too much. And 28 and 10 for, speaks for itself. 37 minutes. He didn't, he didn't necessarily have it going at, from a shooting perspective. But I thought when you combine... His offense with his defense, and I thought his defense was notably better in this game. Um, 28 and 10 speaks for itself. The efficiency was not off the charts, but it was still decent enough. And uh, yeah, pretty good game for Trey Young, all things considered. Again, the Hawks played well in this game. You can't really ask for them to win this game you know, more often than not, obviously. Not having Kemba was a factor, but then the Hawks didn't have Collins for half the game, too. So, you know, all that all that to say, we'll look ahead a little bit to Saturday. The Hawks are going to be a big-time underdog again against the Pacers. The Pacers are better than the Hawks, and the Pacers are not going to be on uh, short rest. Indiana did not play on Friday, and they'll be uh, on full rest here. So, obviously, if Collins does not play, I know you're at home, but it's an uphill battle, to be sure. I'm kind of an Indiana skeptic in some ways, but they're still better than you, most likely. So we'll see how the Hawks respond. Um, if they have to go to a full game without Collins, we'll definitely see a different rotation on Saturday. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say definitely, but I will assume it's a different rotation because the Hawks played so small on Friday. Um, you throw in Collins missing time and the fact that Indiana is so much bigger than Boston. I think I think we're definitely going to see Bruno, if not Damian as well. Um, I will be interested to see where they go with the starting five, um, particularly if Collins can't play. Is it going to be Jabari? Is it going to be, you know, 
we'll see what they do on that on that front. Um, I think Vince Carter will probably play in that game. It's just a lot of bodies. If Collins can't play, you might see just everybody play. <laughs> Other than maybe Evan Turner and Parsons, obviously, given the reporting that I talked about earlier on the podcast. But if that ha- if Collins is unavailable, they're going to have to just kind of throw out lineups and see what works against Indiana, and we'll see how that goes from there. So, one more time, I will remind you that I did a podcast earlier today um, by myself about Andre Drummond on a lot of different factors and uh Go back and listen to that if you like to. Um, please subscribe to the podcast. Also, earlier this week, I talked to Ben Ladner of Sports Illustrated for a while, about an hour on this podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation. It's a good one that's uh, still holds up even now. A lot, a lot of big picture stuff and themes, not just game stuff. Um, good, good to have Ben on the podcast. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Subscribe to the podcast. I will have, an, I will have an, another show I plan to record from the arena, barring something unforeseen on Saturday night. So that'll be the next time you hear from me on Saturday after the game. And uh, stay tuned. Subscribe. We'll see you guys then.